Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Hello, live streams. How are you doing? It's Mark Connor here coming to you all the way from Melbourne. Wish we could be there with you in beautiful Perth at this time. That was the plan. But uh, we're locked down over here. In fact, I think we've had more lockdown days than any city in the world other than London. Uh, pretty crazy, but uh, we're doing okay. And at least we can be with you via technology. And so great to be joining you on this Sunday morning for your church services. Uh, I think I was with you last back in uh, 2019. Boy, a lot of water under the bridge since then. In June 2019, I shared a, me- shared a message on freedom from worry. And then in October, we talked a bit about the spiritual journey, different stages of faith that we go through, including sometimes hitting the wall. (laughs) And uh, wow, this last week has been kind of like hitting the wall, hasn't it? We've had some major challenges um, through this global pandemic. And so a big shout out to Rod and the team, uh, to you as a congregation for how well you've navigated this time of uncertainty. Uh, with all the repercussions that it's had in our lives. And so I hope you're doing well. Really great to be able to share with you today. I understand that you're currently going through the book of Mark. Uh, Gospel of Mark is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Each Gospel brings uh, a different perspective, has a different literary style and some different audiences in mind. And so the Gospel of Mark is uh, probably one of the first Gospels written Uh, It's actually the shortest gospel. Uh, The narrative moves along pretty quickly, and it was written to a Greco-Roman audience, and it presents Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, uh, but a very different Messiah than many people were expecting. And so we're going to pick it up today in Mark chapter 8, verses 34, reading through to chapter 9, verse 1. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? But what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God has come in power. At this point in the narrative, the ministry of Jesus has been accelerating and expanding. He's been teaching. He's been healing people, setting people free. The need is too great for one person to meet. And so he needs a team. And so he started to gather disciples around about him, a a group of committed followers to extend the reach, to extend the ministry and to be his hands and feet in the world, particularly when he departs a little further along. And so it's a time of multiplication for Jesus, multiplying his ministry through others. Uh, This narrative begins with Jesus addressing the crowd. Uh, In in Luke's account of this story, it says that large crowds were following him. That's Luke 14, 25 to 33. Large crowds were following him. And so Jesus begins speaking to the crowd. Uh, I don't know about you, but today we love 
crowds. You know, we always want to know how many people were there, whether it's a, a conference, the footy, uh, a demonstration or march or, or church. Now, there's nothing wrong with numbers. I mean, God's got a whole book of numbers in the Bible. And we know that every number is a, a person who matters to God. But uh, it, it, it's easy to have a numbers focus in our life that kind of feeds the ego and can even lead to a bit of personal pride. You might have read the story of King David who numbered the people and uh, God actually judged him pretty severely for that because he was trying to measure his might by the numbers of troops and the numbers of people. Uh, a couple of things about crowds. You know, crowds love the spectacular. You know, get something exciting happening, a miracle, a healing, and the power of God at work, and crowds are there. <laughs> but when it comes time to the practical, you know, things like love and service, crowds quickly disappear. Crowds are into events, but once the event is over, they're gone. <laughs> they're out of there. Once the meeting, the show, the game's over, uh, they're nowhere to be seen. Crowds love the spectacular. Uh, not only that, crowds tend to be consumers. They're, they're looking for their needs to be met, and they'll go anywhere where that is happening. They're, they're primarily takers. Uh, they're, they're focused on themselves. They want what feels good, what excites, and if there's not much excitement or they're not feeling too good, then they don't show up or they move on. Not only that, crowds tend to be fickle. Uh, crowds can be easily influenced and swayed. Uh, this is sometimes called the mob mentality that is easily offended. You know, one slight change or turn of events and they'll shout crucify him. <laughs> uh, just a few days ago, they were shouting Hosanna. Now they're shouting crucify him, given some wrong and inaccurate information by some jealous, wicked leaders, the crowds in Jesus' day, the, the very crowds that he'd fed and taught and ministered to, uh, turned on him. Offend a crowd and they can quickly go against you. And so in this narrative, narrative Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading towards a cross. You know, the crowds think that he's going to become king and build an empire for them. And once their agenda is not being met, their loyalty, their loyalty will change. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus loved crowds. In fact, that's why he's talking to them right now. Jesus loved crowds, but he understood crowds too. And Jesus never said, I will build my crowd. He never said, I will build my crowd. Jesus wanted to build a church. And a church is a group of people who have stepped out of the crowd and decided to become committed followers, committed disciples of Jesus who are living for his cause on the earth. And so Jesus turns to these crowds and he makes his intentions very clear. It's like he enlarges the fine print so they know his expectations. His values are very different than theirs. And so Jesus is actually looking for a quality of commitment, not just a quantity of people. He's looking for disciples, not just crowds. In fact, in this narrative we've just read, Jesus lifts the bar of commitment really high. <laughs> and he doesn't seem to be concerned if the majority don't actually want to follow him or meet uh, those demands. He knew if he could just have a few totally committed disciples, he could actually change the world. And so Jesus wasn't looking for a crowd of followers. He wanted committed disciples uh, who knew his expectations. And so he makes it very, very clear. And so in verse 34, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must. Uh, 
and he begins by outlining three requirements of anyone interested in following him. Firstly, deny yourself. Uh, Self-denial is about saying no to a self-seeking, self-centered life and saying yes to following Jesus and serving others. Uh, Jesus is wanting our primary allegiance. He wants to be first. This is about focus and priority. What's at the center? And so is your work, your business, your family, yourself, your pleasure, are they the things that are at the center of your life? Uh, If so, Jesus is saying, I want you to put me first. And it's not as if those things don't matter anymore, but you do and you engage in those things with Jesus as the priority of your life. He's calling for a hundred percent commitment. You know, nowadays if someone gives fifty percent to God, we kind of think they deserve a, a round of applause, or uh, maybe eighty percent. Uh, but really, ninety-five percent devotion to Jesus is five percent short. As the old saying goes, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. And so Jesus isn't looking just for some part-time volunteers or someone taking Him on as an extracurricular activity. He's wanting us to deny our self-centered orientation and make him and his cause the center of our life. Uh, Second requirement is to take up our cross. You know, the cross in that time of history was an instrument of death and symbolized further this total commitment Jesus is looking for. Um, His listeners knew what a cross was. Hundreds of people would have been publicly executed this way throughout their region. And so this cross symbol was of the death penalty. You know, today uh, we sometimes wear crosses as jewelry and and nothing wrong with that. But that's kind of like wearing a gas chamber or an electric chair around our neck, because in that time, the cross was a symbol of death. And so Jesus was indicating that following him may include some suffering. We might be isolated or persecuted. We, We may face rejection and even ridicule. The cross was not Jesus alone to bear. All of his followers are called to bear the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was eventually killed by the Nazis, said the cross is laid on every Christian. And when Christ calls us, he bids us to come and die. And so Jesus says to these crowds, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Secondly, you've got to take up your cross. Thirdly, uh, follow me. (laughs) You know, it's easy to believe in Jesus, but it's a totally different thing to follow him. Believing is about putting our faith and our trust in him. But that's only the beginning. Following Jesus is about making him the leader of our life and then obeying his teaching, living the kind of life that he calls us to. Interestingly, you don't see many places where Jesus ever says, worship me or even believe in me. But he regularly said, follow me. And so these were the three requirements. He said to the crowd, if you want to be my disciple, Uh, this is what I'm looking for. And then he follows up with a warning and a promise. You know, let's just pause here and be really honest. This is pretty hard. This is pretty demanding. You know, when I read this, I think maybe Jesus is angry. I don't know. Is he having a bad day? I mean, you know, what's what's up with this? Uh, This bar is very high that he's calling people to jump over. But the truth is Jesus communicated the cost of discipleship frequently. In fact, his comments to the crowd, that which, which we've just read, those wanting to follow him, were exactly the same as he'd made to his 12 disciples earlier. Luke 9, verses 23 to 26, Then Jesus said to them all, 
that's the 12, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. There's those same three requirements we've just read in the Gospel of Mark. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This saying, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it, is in all four of the Gospels. And in two of the Gospels, it's there more than once. No other saying of Jesus is given such strong emphasis. And so Jesus is actually being incredibly honest. He's not trying to bribe people. He's not trying to promise them an easy way. He's challenging them about what it's going to take to be one of his committed disciples. And so he's lifting this bar of commitment really, really high because he knows it's only through committed disciples that he'll change the world. He doesn't lower the bar to get more disciples. He doesn't offer a six months pain-free deal or a lay-by plan. There's, there's no special discounts or offers of you know, a set of steak knives or a free book like we do today. He wasn't afraid of losing people and he wasn't going to compromise his requirements for anybody, including the rich. Jesus called people to a radical commitment, a radical obedience and to radical love. He wants us to count the cost. No pressure. <laughs> it's our choice. But this is what he's looking for. You know, to be honest with you, I'm challenged by this personally. You know, what, what is my level of commitment? Do I just believe in Jesus? Is it a casual part of my life? Or am I one of those fully committed disciples of Jesus? I'm challenged as a church leader. How does this influence my teaching and my leading? Is Jesus impressed by the size of our church? You know, a lot of pastors are interested in attendance. How many were there? Uh, is he uh, focused on the speed of growth of the church? Or, or is he looking for a, a quality, a depth of discipleship that's even more important to him than how big our crowds may be? And so in the remainder of our time today, I want to talk about what a true disciple looks like. I want to paint a portrait of a 21st century disciple. We're going to look at a couple of attributes that uh, really demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus today. First of all is devotion to Jesus. That comes through clear in our text. A true disciple is in a loving relationship with Jesus. That, that means spending time with him daily, uh, making worship and prayer a lifestyle rather than just a weekly event. And then demonstrating our love for Jesus by obeying his instructions, being serious about growing to be like Jesus in every area of our life. Uh, I looked on the Livestream's website and I love your core values there. You value an authentic relationship with Jesus. Livestream's aspires to be a church whose people depend on and are filled with the Holy Spirit, who exercise spiritual disciplines, love the word of God and prayer and lived Christ-like lives. You know, crowds don't do this. <laughs> they listen and follow it at a distance, but they never really get close where committed disciples are focused on building that relationship on a daily basis. Just talking to God, being in conversation with God, including Him in our life, wherever we may be, whatever we may be engaging in. And then not just talking to Him, not just loving Him, but then obeying Him, reading His Word and then applying those principles to our lives. Uh, 
It's so important that we do that. And so devotion to Jesus. How's your love for Jesus today? Uh, The second attribute or part of our portrait today is loving relationships. True disciples live in community. They, They break the cult of individualism. It's not about me, it's about we. And they uh, adopted others' focus in their life. And so true disciples are connected and joined in relationship with other disciples. Again, one of your values at Livestreams is loving Christ-centered relationships. Livestreams aspires to be a church that is full of compassion so that people are drawn from all situations in life into a loving, accepting community that inspires hope and faith in Christ. We seek to have loving and respectful relationships between people. And so crowds don't do that. You know, crowds never really connect. They come together with a big group and then they're out of there. And so it's impersonal, it's faceless, it's nameless. But no disciples, they get into community. They build relationships. And one of the best ways to do that is through small groups. You know, a large gathering on a Sunday um, has many benefits, but it has some limitations. You know, you can't build close relationships on a Sunday morning. You're looking at the neck of the person in front of you, and that's not their better side. We can't care for everybody on a Sunday morning. Sure, we can pray for a few people, but you can't care for everyone. Not everyone can minister or or contribute. You know, if we said to to each person, hey, take the microphone, take a few minutes, what's happening in your life? How many know it's going to be a long meeting? And there's no accountability for what you hear. You can smile and say amen and do nothing about it. You wouldn't, but you could. In a small group, all those things can happen. You can really build relationships. You can care for one another. Everyone can contribute and we can hold ourselves to accountable. Hey, we were talking about this last week. How's that working in your life at the moment? And so crowds don't do this, but disciples do. They have a devotion to Jesus. They're in loving relationships. Thirdly, they have a servant heart. True disciples develop and discover and deploy their gifts for the benefit of others. They take up the towel, as it were, and they serve and they turn the self-orientated, natural focus of our life towards an other's focus. It's another value of life streams. Every Christ follower actively involved in ministry. Life streams aspires to be a church of people who reflect the life of Christ as they love and serve the church, the community, the world, especially the poor, and the marginalized. Again, crowds don't do this. Crowds come to be served. They come to be entertained. If they're not, then they move on. They don't come early to set up. They definitely don't hang around to clean up or help out. But disciples do. Disciples have discovered, developed, and they're using those gifts. They're finding their area of passion and they're making a contribution. And so what about you today? Have you joined the team or you're in in the grandstands kind of cheering everyone else on? You know, I know at live streams, there's no ministry with that no vacancy sign on it. Every ministry is looking for some more people to get involved. And so uh, be, be a servant, be someone who lives not just for yourself, but for others. And that starts at home, flows into our work life, school, our neighborhood and our church. And it's a, an attitude that says, there you are rather than here I am. There you are. How, how can I be a blessing to you? And you know, it's, it's actually a key to happiness in life. There's a leading psychologist called Martin Seligman, and uh, he did a little exercise with his students at university. He said, this week, I want you to do two things. One, go and do something just for yourself, something pleasurable. And then secondly, go and do something 
only for the benefit of others. And I want you to measure your feelings before, during, and after each assignment. Pretty easy assignment. Anyway, so the students went out and so they did something pleasurable for themselves. You know, went to a movie, had a hot fudge sundae, and they said, you know, their emotion kind of spiked really high. There was a high pleasure and then it dipped off very, very quickly. But when they did something for someone else, worked in a soup kitchen, helped an elderly person across the road. Their emotions leading up to the event started to really feel positive. They had a, a quite high pleasurable experience and then those good feelings lingered on for hours, sometimes days afterward. You know, they could have saved all that exercise by reading Jesus. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, you're happier, you're more fulfilled, you're more joyful when you're in a giving mode than when you're in a getting selfish uh, mode or orientation in your life. And so, and so true disciples have decided to be a servant, to give and to contribute. Fourthly, true disciples uh, have committed to generous giving. Uh, they're totally committed to the cause of Christ, and, and that affects the use of their time, the use of their energy, and their financial resources. Another value at Livestream is a life of simplicity and generosity. Livestream aspires to be a church committed to a lifestyle of Christ-like freedom and simplicity. The way we live and worship reflects our commitment to sacrificial and generous giving to support our community and ministry. And so crowds don't do this. <laughs> crowds are consumers. They're not contributors. Crowds aren't givers. In fact, Christian crowds are the worst. <laughs> you know, I remember doing a, a community day once at my last church. We did a big day, had all the community people come in. We had f food stalls and we had jumping castles and it was a great day. And, and it was just a $2 gold coin donation as people entered. You know, uh, all, all the numbers of Christians said, why are we charging $2? Like they were complaining, you know. You know, all the community people were saying, only $2? This is amazing. <laughs> See the different attitude? It's so easy to think we kind of deserve everything. <laughs> the truth is there's no such thing as a free lunch. And so disciples are, are contributors. They're willing to resource the work of Christ. The gospel's free, but it costs money to get the news out there. In fact, I think true disciples have had what we could call a paradigm shift when it comes to their money. Uh, you might have heard the funny story of a, a man about to get on an airplane and he's just bought himself a bag of donuts. And so uh, he's sitting there waiting for his uh, uh, plane to board and uh, he reaches out, grabs a donut and uh, then just leaves the rest in the bag and he's re reading the newspaper. Well, there's a kind of a scruffly, unshaven man across from him and he reaches out and has one of his donuts. This businessman's thinking, well, what's going on here? So anyway, he reaches out, has another donut, and this guy across from him just smiles and reaches out and takes another donut out of the bag. This businessman's thinking to himself, how, how rude can you be? Unbelievable. And so he has another donut, and then the other guy it keeps on going like this, and eventually the businessman, you know, his plane is boarding now, and so he grabs the bag and has the last donut, gives the guy a bit of a scowl, and gets, get, you know, Gets, gets on his way to the plane, you know, throws the empty paper bag in the rubbish bin. Anyway, as, as he's getting on the plane, uh, he, he starts to, you know, get ready to sit down in his assigned seat and he's taking his jacket off and he, he feels something in his pocket of his jacket and he looks down and there's a bag of donuts. And he suddenly has a paradigm shift. So, see, that bag of donuts was actually not his, it was the other man's. His bag of donuts, they were in his pocket. 
suddenly he sees everything differently. Um, who was the rude person? He was. He was actually eating the other person's donuts. Now, now, what's the point? You know, if you think that all of your resources are yours, then when God wants one or two for the work of the kingdom, you kind of go, ah. But when you realize all the donuts are God's, that everything belongs from him, and then he wants a couple and he says, you have the rest, you go, good deal. Uh, God's the donut maker. You know, he can keep the donuts coming. He can turn the donut maker off for a little while, uh, you know. And so let's, let's have open-handed generosity rather than tight-fistedness. Uh, keep sharing those donuts. God can keep cooking them up and bringing them your way. Our final point, the fifth part of our portrait of a true disciple is relational evangelism. True disciples are actively pursuing relationships with those far from God, looking for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Again, another value at Livestreams, relational Christ-centered evangelism. Livestreams aspires to be a church committed to spirit-led evangelism, resulting in relationships of loving integrity where Christ is shared through our lives and words. Again, crowds don't do this. Crowds just think about themselves and don't really worry about anyone else where committed disciples have embraced heaven's priority. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said there's more joy in heaven when one person who's lost is found. We, we know heaven's joyful all the time, but the joy level goes up when someone connects with God. You know, most churches exist for three reasons. We're here to love God, to love each other, and to reach our world. If you ever thought about it, if we're only here for the first two reasons, we might as well go to heaven right now. Uh, you know, because up in heaven, we'll see God face to face. Up in heaven, you'll be easier to love. You'll be perfect. And so, so will I. And so if we're only here to love God and love each other, we might as well go to heaven right now. And when we baptize people, we might as well just hold them under a little longer. You know, uh, all the bubbles gone, straight to heaven, no backsliding. It's okay. I know you don't do that. Uh, the only reason we're still here is for the third reason, to reach out to our world with God's love. And so we may not all have the gift of evangelism. We may not all see someone cross the line of faith, but we can all be involved in the work of evangelism. You know, people come to faith often through a process. It's a bit like a chain. I think I've shared with you before. It's a bit like a chain with many links. Sometimes you're the first link. Sometimes you're the last link. More often we're the middle link, one of the middle links. Just don't be the missing link. And so every day we have a chance to build relationships, be a blessing, meet needs of people around about us. And who knows when those opportunities may come for us to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, committed disciples uh, are committed to relational evangelism. So a quick checkup today. We've read the Gospel of Mark. We've heard Jesus' demands or requirements of discipleship. And so we've endeavored to paint a portrait of a true disciple in the 21st century. And so here's a couple of questions for me today, for you. Am I loving and following Jesus each day? Secondly, am I in meaningful relationship with others? Thirdly, am I using my gifts to serve? Fourthly, am I giving generously? And finally, am I looking for opportunities to share my faith? If you're doing that, then you're a committed disciple. I want to say, well done. The world is a better place because of your embracement or your embracing of that commitment. You know, today's message is probably a little uncomfortable, isn't it? We probably all feel a little slapped around a bit. The truth is I'm a really nice person, but I've got to be honest and I've got to preach God's word and share Jesus' message just as he gave it. 
The truth is we're, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But, you know, becoming a Christian is more than just a decision. It's about entering a relationship and following and responding to that call of Jesus to be a disciple. Because sometimes we're in the crowd because we're seeking and that's okay. Maybe you're watching this message today or listening to the podcast and, and maybe you're checking Jesus out. That, that's okay. Jesus loved the crowd and he gave them time to hear his heart, to know what he was on about. Sometimes we're in the crowd because we're a little bit hurt. And, and that's okay too. Sometimes we have some negative, some painful experiences. We become a little disillusioned, maybe with God, maybe even with church. And so over time, there's an opportunity to heal and Church is a safe place for you to go through that process. But at some stage, uh, we need to step out of the crowd and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, live streams, it's time to embrace your mission of helping people find and follow Jesus with fresh faith and enthusiasm. Jesus is still building his church and he's still turning to crowds and calling them to the commitment of a true disciple, as I said earlier, because he knew that's the only way to change the world. The opportunities are great. The only limitation is the number of resources that we can have in people that are committed to follow Jesus. And so are you a Christian today? Are you a committed disciple today? Uh, following Jesus is an adventure. It's challenging. It's thrilling. It's fulfilling. And uh, God does some amazing things when we give our full heart to his cause on the earth. You know, finally, we have one life to live. This is not a dress rehearsal. And so what are you living for today? What we do in time echoes into eternity. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your words today. Thank you for Mark taking the time to write them down. And we're challenged by them. You, you, you love crowds. You love all people, but you're actually building a church, a church of true disciples. Thank you for live streams, for Rob, for the leaders there. And I pray that they would continue to pursue their amazing mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. For those listening that may not know you, reveal yourself to them today. For those that are maybe a little hurt, a little disillusioned, comfort and encourage them today. And for all of us, may we take up the challenge to be those fully devoted followers of Jesus that will make a huge difference in our world at this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless your live streams. So good to share with you today. Take care and stay well. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.